Hello, I'm Matthew Guyver, and welcome to this Jericho Chambers podcast about the work of the charity John Lyons. I'm starting in southwest London with a discussion with the CEO, Dr. Lynn Guyton. Now, Lynn, John Lyons has a very long history. Who, who, who was he, the guy who founded it in the first place? So John Lyon was a yeoman farmer, and in 1578, he was given a sum of money by Queen Elizabeth I. And with that money, he set up a road trust and built what's now known as the Harrow and Edgware Road. And he also founded Harrow School. And he also had a farm in Maida Vale. And for, for many years, he produced uh, an income off of the, the roads by, by raising a levy. Um, as years went by, uh, the land became uh, increasingly uh, lucrative. And in 1991, the, the governors and trustees of the charity applied to the Charity Commission to allow that funding, uh, those monies to be used for charitable purposes for children and young people in London. And you're in a specific number of London boroughs. We are, that's right. So we are in uh, nine London boroughs, uh, which is broadly a swathe from Camden round to Ealing, and also including uh, the boroughs of the City of London, Westminster, Kensington and Chelsea, Hammersmith and Fulham. And the, the logic behind that is broadly that they are, they are roughly the areas that the original Harrow and Edgware Road touched on. Okay. Now, the extraordinary figure is that since 1991, you've spent £100 million in, in, in donations to various charities in that area. That's correct. Um, so it's specifically for children and young people's charities. Um, we have a, a large endowment, so we don't have to fundraise. Um, so all of the, the income that we receive from the endowment goes directly to those charities into a number of different sectors. So it could be for emotional well-being, uh, it could be for arts and education, it could be for youth clubs and youth services. So in 2017-18 you gave away 9.7 million, but that, that figure is going to increase. Yes, that's correct. So we use a total return calculation method um, and as a consequence our funding uh, will increase to closer towards 10 to 12 million over the coming years that we will be able to, to spend on charitable activities in those nine London boroughs. And that's because your investments and your property portfolio is doing well. Now, you've written a very interesting piece um, recently about the fact that you think we need a minister for young people in this country. Why do you think that's the case? I think particularly over the last 10 years or since uh, the last recession in 2008, the, the charity has seen uh, a number of significant changes uh, within its beneficial area. Um, specifically around a loss of funding and a loss of attention and focus on children and young people. And for us, it seems as though no one is really um, waving the flag uh, for children and young people. Um, at the moment, as a remit, it currently sits between a number of different ministries and we feel there needs to be a, a real focus because there are a number of core issues that are raised almost on a daily basis within the press. Um, knife crime, uh, the numbers in Senko, uh, children requiring additional help because they have learning difficulties or disabilities is increasing. These things are all in interlinked um, and we feel there needs to be a minister responsible for that. 
Would you have a minister in his or her own ministry then? Do you think that would be the idea? Well, that would be wonderful, but I'm not sure that there's the resource for that. Um, but at least a, a sub-minister within a department where their focus is solely on that um, and not on you know eight to ten other briefs as well. Now, the other thing is that you've had seven ministers since 2010, which is not encouraging, is it? It's not, and it makes it extremely difficult to, to build uh, relationships and to, to push forward for policy changes. So, so the last minister in that position, Tracy Crouch, was extremely supportive of the work we do and of some of the models that we are rolling out across our boroughs and in other parts of London and the country. The, the new minister is still understanding her brief. Right. Now, the relationship between government and local government and the voluntary sector has changed over the years, hasn't it? Um, broadly, it seems that government has been withdrawing from many services that it used to perform and offer, particularly since 2008 and the years of, of, of austerity. I mean, do you feel these days that you're being asked more than just to give a bit of added value, fill a bit of a gap here and there, that you're almost being relied on as a wholesale replacement. So originally our brief was, and, and the, the, the messaging that we, we had around the charity was very much that we would only support um, you know, value-added services, that we would not um, undertake or give grants towards charities that was replacing something that government should be doing. Um, that's increasingly becoming a grey area as uh, both central and local government uh, retract uh, due to funding cuts. And so we find ourselves in the position of funding things like after, after school drama clubs because there's no longer drama provision in school because the school can't afford a drama teacher, um, helping with SEND provision. So we see ourselves slowly taking up some of the slack. I'd like to counter that by saying that we're also very keen to work very closely with the local authorities um, in each of the nine boroughs that we operate. So we have a good relationship with all of them. So we are we are sympathetic that they have had to make cuts because this is what they've been told they have to do by central government. And through our Young People's Foundation models, we are trying to use uh, those models to work us as a charity uh, with local charities on the ground, working with children, the local authority itself, and local businesses as well to work together for the benefit of children and young people. So you do almost become a necessity, don't you, then? I mean, you're expected to be there. So that's an added sort of responsibility that you're taking up a provision that was previously provided by the state. That's true. We can see if, if all of our funding was withdrawn from our grantees tomorrow, it would have an enormous impact uh, upon a number of young people's lives. Um, it does seem sometimes looking here in London that the outlook is bleak for, for young people. You know, a lot of talk about poverty, pressures of social media, street crime, kids being excluded from school. I mean, do you feel that, that things are sort of uniquely difficult at the moment? They're difficult, but I think they've always been difficult and they've always been, you know, different, difficult challenges. I think what I would say is that we still see an incredible amount of enthusiasm uh, and optimism uh, amongst the children and young people that we support and work with. Um, you know, that's what's so uplifting, um, that in giving 
uh, children and young people opportunities from disadvantaged backgrounds. Uh, you're giving them something that they may not otherwise have had. Um, and you know, we, we receive poems, um, photos, uh, phone calls on a weekly basis uh, from those we've granted to, which show that they are, you know, they're happy. They still have um, a freshness um, and a, a glasses half full approach to to life. Yeah. So that's that's encouraging. So is it? I mean, we're starting to hear hints now that. That the years of austerity might be over. Do you do you think that that is a possibility or not? I think actually a number of the the cuts which councils across the country will have to make um, are only just starting to to happen. So we know from within our own beneficial area, a number of the local authorities will have to make significant cuts of twenty to thirty percent over the next three years, and that will affect uh, children's and youth services. So they, they will look to cut the services uh, where there will be least obvious impact. Now, one of the things that you specialise in because you're focused on relatively small geographical area is that you know what's going on at, at ground level. You're very familiar with a lot of the organisations and individuals. I mean, tell us particularly about the, the aftermath after, after Grenfell and what happened there and how you became involved. Sure. Um, and we, as a charity, we, we very much do grant-making by walking around. Um, you know, we are, we are fortunate that we have a, a relatively confined uh, beneficial area in which to operate. But as a consequence, the depth of knowledge we have in each of our boroughs is, is vast. Um, and we've built up a lot of respect and integrity over the years uh, from locals, from the local groups, from other charities, because they know... That we walk, you know, we we walk the walk, we talk the talk, and we really know those areas well. So when um, the tragedy of Grenfell happened last year, this was right in the middle of our patch. Um, we know this. We, we were not surprised, um, as many people were, that this was an area of extreme poverty in in what's otherwise a rich borough, um, and we quickly rallied um, a table of support of different funders. Uh, to come together to form a coalition of funding specifically for children and young people affected by Grenfell. And when tragedies like that occur, it sometimes people's very well-meaning efforts to help actually are not as, as helpful as, as they could be because they lack intelligence and focus, don't they? But that's something where you felt that you could really add a lot of value. Absolutely, and I think we were... And, and still are very much respected as a funder on the ground. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of animosity towards the council, and to some extent towards other funders uh, within that area because the locals were were unsure of what the motives were. Uh, for us, we were not taking a cut from any uh, you know, any donations coming in. We weren't we weren't receiving our donations ourselves. We, we were just using a chunk of money from the endowment to. Uh, to support the aftermath of Grenfell. Um, so it enabled us to hold surgeries um, with local groups after Grenfell and to work through applications with them and to really understand what, what the need was at that particular time. And how are things there now? You must visit reasonably we do. And, frequently uh, We were there just last Wednesday. And it's, um, you know, I think people are, are still hurting. 
they're still scarred. It will take a long time to, um, you know, for, for memories of that to fade. If you walk under Westway, um, there's, there's a part, if you walk the length of Westway underneath, where it's just a series of tributes, um, uh, amazing graffiti, um, you know, wreaths, hearts, messages, which are still there from, from two years ago, and they're, and they're constantly refreshed. Now, most people in Kensington and Chelsea would never walk down there and understand that, but we know that some of our local groups are there. So it must be an interesting thing to run an organisation like this. It's almost, you know, like being um, Mother Christmas, where, you know, there's this sense that you have, and people must be aware that you have, a, you know, this huge in, endowment. Does that sometimes bring its own sort of difficulties in being discriminating and working out how you can distribute this 10 to 12 million pounds a year? Um, as the chief exec, I feel I'm, you know, I, I have a, a responsibility to uh, to look after the, the, the money appropriately um, and to spend it wisely. Um, sometimes we do have to say no. I think our application process is extremely transparent and we walk it through with everyone. Our aim is to try and get as many applicants through as possible. So unlike some charities where within the annual report, you'll see that 80% of applications received have failed. With us, it's the opposite. And the reason for that is because we don't have a standard computer. There's no algorithm set up because we, you know, we go around, we do grant making by walking around the area, really getting to know a group, understand what their real needs are. And if they can't articulate that uh, well enough for an application form, we will spend, if we think there's a real need there and we can see a nugget, We'll spend time getting to know them, and that might take a year to 18 months to then build up a grant application to the point where they're ready to submit it. So you choose them often rather than vice versa, yes. do you? Right. And that's an interesting model for a charity, isn't it? Because that doesn't often happen, does no, it? No, that's right. But we, it, we feel it's our, it's our duty, our responsibility to understand where the need is amongst the children and young people's charities that are within our area. Now, you've said recently that you think John Lyons is at a pivotal point in its history. Why Why so? Because there have been so many funding cuts to um, different sectors which affect children and young people. I feel for many years the charity has existed and it's been extremely benevolent and it has made an impact. But I feel the time has come to, to do more than just give money. And I think the time has come to... Um, uh, take a stance and speak up for many of our grantees. In a nutshell, then, what is it that you think that you've got to say at this pivotal moment? That children and young people matter. And investing for the long term in children and young people is what has made the biggest difference to young people's lives in our beneficial area. So whether you are a government funder or a charitable funder, Going in and funding something for a two to three year programme and then withdrawing it is probably one of the worst things that you can do. It's the longevity of funding that makes the difference. And you've had projects that you've been involved with here, haven't you, for decades? Absolutely. That's right. You know, and some of our biggest success stories now are, are projects where we were their first we, we were their first funder and we took a risk on some of them. And our trustees have been fantastic at enabling us to take those risks and understand what that means 
um, and you know many of them have gone on to great success. Now, your sector, the the voluntary sector, um, hasn't had the easiest of reputational rides over recent years. We've had we've had Oxfam and Save the Children and Kids Company, which were not positive stories and have clearly affected the public's opinion of of a sector that previously people would have thought was you know entirely without blemish i mean uh, do, do you feel that yourself and what do you think the sector can do to sort of restore um, trust in it so so I, I completely agree with your point and i understand why um you know why the public have be, become disengaged from charities um and are you know shocked at, at some of the behavior that's happened I think for me, coming in from the private sector, I feel a charity is still a business and it should run as well, if not better, uh, than a commercial business uh, because it, its end aims and objectives are probably more important than those in the in the private sector. So for me, integrity and good governance is, is everything. Okay, Lynn, thank you. Thank you.